There it goes, another one. Good. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm just delighted again to bring this text that happens to be again right here. And this morning, again, we started off looking at this text and really celebrating the death, burial, and more importantly, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and how it guarantees our future resurrection. It's an amazing truth, isn't it, when you really think about it, that there's millions upon millions of believers all over the world that are gathering, remembering the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the great hope that we have in Jesus Christ. You know, that he has taken away our sins. And we realize that that um, sacrifice was accomplished, was accepted by the Father because he rose from the grave. And it's amazing a truth to look at that when you consider that the grave is empty. You know, people go to various different religious shrines, you know, uh, during the week, during their lifetime. And they honor, again, those various different shrines, those various different temples, those various different holy places. But the one place that you never find Christians, again, gathered to worship at is the tomb. And the reason why is quite simply is because the tomb is empty. There's nothing there. There's nothing of significance that happens to be again right there. And we're here this morning to celebrate this truth that Jesus Christ is alive. And it's amazing truth when you really consider it because we meet every single Sunday. We don't meet on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is actually Saturday, but we meet on the first day of the week. And why do we meet on the first day of the week? Because it's a time of celebration. It's a time that declares our great hope. And the great hope is this, is that Jesus Christ is alive. You know, and we've, and as Richard read the scripture this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's many times just called this, the resurrection chapter, because it's about one subject, isn't it? The resurrection, our future resurrection that's based upon the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you look at verses 1 to 57, it's all over that. You know, it's all about that. There's no commands that happen to be again right there. It's just about this truth, this truth, this truth, this truth, the significance of this truth, what it means for us, how it is. And then when he gets in verse number 58, he says this, and I want us to see it. He says, therefore, right? There's one of those connecting words, again, that we looked at this morning. And we recognize this, therefore, is drawing an inference. I've just taught you truth. I've just taught you necessary truth. Therefore, do this. Therefore, think this. Therefore, know this. Therefore, respond in this way. Therefore, have this hope. You know, and we realize the importance of that therefore. You know, we see it various, in various different portions of Scripture. In Romans chapter 5, in verse number 1, it says, therefore. And then it gives us this truth. This is the truth that he's been talking about the last couple of chapters. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, and we realize what that is. That's a holy standing before God, based upon the works of Jesus Christ. Not based upon what I've done, but based upon what he has done. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, right? There's no hostility. You know, there's no hostility between you and God if you are justified, if you have placed your faith in the right object, which happens to be again Jesus Christ. Because of this, therefore, this is truth. I have eternal peace with God. He says something similar in Romans 5, 7, or 5, 9. He says, since therefore we have been justified by his blood, the, the same sort of language, this justifying sacrifice has been made, much more shall we be saved by him, by him from the wrath of God. I do not have to fear death. I do not have to fear the wrath of God coming upon me because a sinner, because somebody has shed their blood and giving, uh, given that offering for us. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore, here it is, 
now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're hoping in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what you know. There's no condemnation. There's no fear of condemnation. You know, that is gone from our lives. You know, in Romans chapter 12, in verse number 1, he says, I appeal to you, and here it is, therefore. And then he says this, brothers, by the mercies of God. So he's been talking about the mercies of God for 11 chapters. And he says, based upon that amazing mercy, our justification, our sanctification, our future glorification, and God has chosen us in Jesus Christ, he says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual uh, uh, worship. So because of this, this, right? You see that over and over. Romans fifteen seven says, therefore, we welcome one another uh, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God, right? The same way God has welcomed us through a sacrifice. You know, we are to welcome all those who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we come to the end of chapter number 15, we have this word, therefore, and it tells us, the moment you see that word, you should ask yourself this question. If I'm going to understand the glory of what comes next, if I'm going to understand the truth, if I'm going to understand the commandment that comes next, I have to understand this. And this is what we looked at this morning, right? And we looked at this morning that one day there's going to be a great taunt over death, right? Death, where's your sting? Where is your power? And he explains again, the sting of death happens to be sin. That's why we die. That's why we come under the judgment of God. And how do we know again about that sin? It's through the law of God. But thanks be to God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us a victory, one who has come lived that perfect life, died that substitutionary death, and lived forevermore, so much so that one day there's going to be a taunt of death. Death's power has been eradicated forevermore. And then Paul says, therefore. And here's the amazing thing. I I don't think a lot of times we make the connection. We go like this. Okay, this is true. Now this needs to function in my life this way. We, we never make that connection. A lot of times we hear preaching. A lot of times we hear biblical teaching or whatever it happens to be. And we say, huh, that's interesting facts. And then we wake up Monday morning and our life is just the same as it always ha- has been. Let me say that these truths are meant to move us. You know, and we said this this morning. This is the whole thing. This is what the Easter season, in fact, this is what every Sunday is meant to do. It's meant to take our gaze and to look backward and to recognize the sufficiency, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and the completion of that work and that he rose from the grave to give us that future orientation, to look into the future and recognize beyond a shadow of a doubt that I will be with Christ, that there's a future the resurrection coming, that there's going to be a trump blast that comes and the dead in Christ will rise and then we which are alive at that time forever will be caught up to be together with the Lord in this body that is immortal, imperishable. You know, and that's our great hope that happens to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look here, we look back here and that gives us direction. That gives us hope. That causes us to forgive to the same way Jesus in love, the same way Jesus is loved and interact with the, with the same way that those have. But let me ask you, is that your hope? Is that your hope this morning? You know, as you look, could you be overjoyed? Are you looking expectantly and hoping that today we'll hear that trumpet blast as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? And if you are, is that changing your life? Is it changing how you handle the difficulties, trials, pressures, uh, temptations that happen to begin in your life, even the suffering that happens to be in your life? 
because that's what it's meant to do. Guess what? I don't know if you realize this, but this life doesn't last. You know, and for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this isn't our best life. It's to come, and it's meant to shape us. It's meant to mold us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I really want us to look at that and really want to be challenged the way the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, my future resurrection, should embolden me to live. And then I want us to see the certainty when we live in light of that, of how fruitful, how abundant, how substantive our lives have to be. But first of all, I want us to see how we are to be challenged as far as to live according to the resurrection. You can see this in verse number 58, because look at what he says. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable. Here it is, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know, isn't it true that believers love to talk about the will of God that have us be again in our life? And if you take, I would say, hmm, probably 60 or 70 years ago, that, that question was easy to answer. And the reason why, why it was easy to answer 60, 70 years ago, or even further back from there, is because we didn't have much mobility in life. So if you happen to be born in a, uh, a community, you stayed in that community. You know, it would be very, very odd for you even to venture outside of that community. 50, I would say 50 miles outside of that community, you stayed there all of your life. If your dad was a farmer, you were a far farmer. If your dad was a blacksmith, you would be a blacksmith. You know, that's just the way life went. If you happen to be a lady, you were married into that community, you know, with those that happen to be again around you. And the will of God, again, was very easy. It was very easy to ascertain. And I'll speak again why it was so easy in a second. But today we look at the will of God as something mystical, don't we? You know, many times young people, many times struggle. You know, who should I marry? You know, what's the will of God as far as a spouse? What's the will of God as far as what school I should go to? What's the will of God as far as where I should move or what should be my occupation? We look at it as a great mystery today, the will of God. Let me tell you what the will of God is. You know, for those back then and for us today, this is what the will of God is. It's whatever God has said in his word. When we look at the commands, when we look at the demands that happen to be in the word of God, for us as believers who should be overwhelmed with the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, this is what we have to realize. The will of God is easy to ascertain. And we just read in verse number 58, this is the will of God, right? Be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's the will of God. But let me tell you, you cannot do that in your own strength. The strength to do that very will that he's outlined is the truths that he has just made known. If those truths are not central in your heart and in your, in your life, if you're not looking back, recognizing all that Jesus Christ accomplished and that he's wrote, he, he, he rose from the grave and ascended to his Father and he's in an exalted position and he's coming back, let me tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you cannot live according to those commands. So he wants us to understand the connection that happens to begin be there. So, with all that in mind, this is what he says. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, let me ask you a question. And this is a tough question. And here's the question. How many of us had, a, had that purpose for when we came out this morning? You know, how, how, how many of us, beyond a shadow of a doubt, said, this is the will of God for me today? You know, how many of us even, even thought about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and what it means as far as how I function in my life today? You know, how many of us, again, did that? See, you know, so often, I think as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we, uh, you, you know, we profess these things, 
but they're not front and center in our lives. And so when we talk about Jesus being raised from the grave, when we talk about him coming back, when we talk about our future resurrection, it's, 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 it, it doesn't seem like that great, great news. And why? Because we're so lethargic about it, you know, and are living for it. You know, and what Paul does, he almost comes triumphantly at the end of this verse. He says, therefore, therefore, my beloved brethren. And I love that, that, that phrase there, my beloved brethren. Because there's a twofold meaning that happens to me again right there. First of all, these are beloved of Paul. You know, and God gives believers a love for one another. You know, it's a supernatural love that he gives us for the family of God. We want to be with other believers. We want to gather on Sunday. We want to celebrate together what Jesus Christ has done for us. But it's more than that. When you look at my beloved brethren, beloved brethren is also a title. You know, it's also a designation. You know, it would be like Christian. It would be like holy ones. It would be like saints. It would be like those chosen in Christ Jesus. It's a title of believers. We are the beloved ones of this great God that happens to be above. And the reason, the only reason why we love God is because of this, because he first loved us. You know, and if we truly love him, think of it, we look back and we cherish what he's done for us today and how he's risen, and we look forward to that time that we are going to be with Jesus Christ. And there's an enthusiasm about our life. There's a joy and expectation that happens to be about our life and what is to come. You know, he describes it this way, again, being steadfast, you know, movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And this is how you live in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is how you live in light that you are going to be resurrected one day as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And these are words, aren't they? They're commands. And the first command that happens to be there is steadfast. Now, what does steadfast mean? And let me tell you. Uh, tell you what it means. It's a directional word. Other words, it's a direction forward. I am going forward. I am serving the Lord. I am learning of him. I am being passionate, putting these truths, learning more of these truths, learning more about who God is, who Christ is, what he has done for me, where he is right now, his function at the uh, at the right hand of the Father on high, and I'm learning these things. I'm progressing forward. Now think about it, because our life is many times not like that, is it? Our life is not progressing all the time forward as believers. Many times it's forward and then we stop, right? It's going forward and stopping, going forward and stopping. Sometimes we have our hands on the metaphorical plow and we're going forward, but many times we're stopping in our life. You know, and this is telling us no matter what the obstacles happen to be in our life, no matter what the roadblocks that happen to be again in our life, realize beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is a deadline. Have you ever thought about that? that that's what these truths tell us. You know, if Christ is really risen from the grave and it tells us that we will rise one day, then it tells us that there is a deadline. You know, that this life, you know, oh, my life is so terrible, it's always going to, no, 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 it's not. It's not. There's a deadline. You know, and so what this is telling us based upon this grand and glorious and future hope of being the Lord Jesus Christ is be steadfast, keep moving forward. Keep serving the Lord. Keep making much of him. The task is not finished, but guess what? One day it will be. One day that there is a finish line, and we will be forever more with the Lord. You know, and so he says, be steadfast based upon this truth. He also says, be immovable. And the meaning of immovable is just basically this. Do not be shaken. Keep your balance. You know, the trials and sufferings try to shake us, right? 
right? We were talking about it again a little bit this morning. We can come into service, we can sing hymns, and our minds can be so stayed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And one thing happens, and it's often. Isn't it true? You know, we're shaken, we're bumped. You know, somebody can say something or do something, and it bumps us, and it takes our gaze off. You know, and we look here. We could be driving again home, and all of a sudden somebody slams on their brake in front of us, causing us to brake uh, fast. And our minds can be filled with glory, and all of a sudden they're filled with rage. They're filled with anger. And this is what this word immovable means. Don't be controlled by other things that happen to be around you. Be controlled by these truths. Be controlled by what Jesus has done. Be controlled by his resurrection. Be controlled that he's living. Be controlled that he's coming again. Don't be controlled by these other things. Be immovable. You know, I lived on the Atlantic coast, and I used to always go to the ocean. One of the things I love about going to the ocean is I just love sitting. You know, I love to hear um, Nova Scotia is not like a lot of uh, destinations that happen to be again on the ocean, uh, because it doesn't have a lot of sandy beaches. You know, they're very rock, and there's lots of crags that happen to be getting in there. But I, but I loved it, doing that. My wife and I would often get a book, and we'd go down there and sit. And it was amazing, because a lot of times you see in these rock formations that happen to be getting out in the ocean, and you used to watch them, and it was almost like a big explosion every time. There would be a huge wave that would come, and it would go... It would spray water that happened to be getting over there, and it would make a tr- uh, tremendous sound. You know, but the one thing that never happened is that rock never was moved. You know, the next wave would come, and the next wave would come, and that rock was never moved. It was absolutely amazing. And we are not that rock. You know, but the one that we are connected to, Jesus Christ, and who he is, and what he has accomplished, is that rock. And the reason why we can be immovable is not because of who we are, it's because of what Jesus has done. And these great truths that are ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we keep these before our hearts and our minds. We're immovable. We're always pressing forward. And then he says this, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And that word abounding means lots, doesn't it? It means to be overflowing, super abundance to have in the beginning in our life. And you can tell beyond a shadow of a doubt when you're, living, when you're living a life with a future orientation, when you're looking for this living Christ to come back, this living Lord that you like, and, and you know why? Because you're not only, again, going forward. You're not only, again, being immovable in these truths, but if you're going forward and you're being immovable in these forces, then you're involved in the lives of others. You cannot help but being involved in the lives of others. You know, and I'm not just talking about your immediate family. I'm not just talking about, again, parents in your children's life. You know, our few select individuals, but we want to learn. We want to befriend. We want to help those, uh, the, those who happen to be in the household of faith and even those who happen to be outside of the faith see the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and so if these truths are active, our hearts are so full with Christ and who he is and what he has done and his return that we want others to have that enjoyment. We want others to have that security that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we minister to them. So just think about it. If you are a Christ-centered individual hoping for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you'll be another centered individual. It'll be easy to see that happens to begin in your life. And so when you look at these three commands, think about it. Here it is. Again, uh, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. When you look at those three commands, are they true about your life? 
Now, here's what, here's what we do. If you happen to be like me, and maybe you're not like me, but if you happen to be like me, I have an in, in, internal lawyer, and every time I read a command that happens to be in Scripture, when I don't necessarily meet it, and more often than not, I don't meet it, you know, when I see that command that happens to be in Scripture, I have an internal lawyer that will excuse me. You know, that will make up some sort of reason why I'm not living this way. Yeah, 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 I'm still Christ-centered. I'm still Christ-centered, but I don't do these things. You know, you don't understand how busy my life is. You don't understand the responsibilities. You don't understand, again, how trying my work life is. You don't understand how, many, how much time I have to spend when I get home with my family. I just do not have enough time to really keep pressing forward. I don't have enough time. Yes, I'm being shaken here and there, but you don't understand the trials that happen to me in my life. Get involved in other people's lives. Ah, I can't even handle my own life. You know, and we make excuses or we say something like this. You know, I really don't have the time and that's why I pay other people. You know, that's why we have missionaries that we support. That's why we have pastors, again, and pay pastors. We want them to do that work. We want them to persevere and keep going forward. We want them to be immovable. We want them to be abounding in the work of the Lord. But we're not going to do it. Now, think about it. Because we know this. You know, this is not rocket science. We find things. We find the time to do the things that we love. Isn't it true? If you love golf, guess what? Golf takes four hours. But guess what? You're going to find time for golf. You know, if you like, I, I don't know, if you like making things with various different f- fabrics, you know, you're going to find time to do that. If you like the lawn out front, you're going to find time to do it. You know, and what we have to realize is when we look at these commands right here, commands right here, it says, it says therefore, based upon these glorious and grand and awesome truths, you have to realize that this is a heart problem. This is a heart problem when this is not produced in our life. And let me just remind you again of these glorious truths, and I hope you see the connection. Because he starts off in verse number 51 this way again, and listen to what it says, and enter in on the truth. Really think about what is being read. He says, behold. Don't you love that? You know, look, gaze. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. And here's the, here it is, we shall not all sleep. But we all shall be changed. When? In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. And a trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body, that's the one I have now, must put on imperishable. And this mortal body, that's what I have now, must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up. In other words, it's annihilated. Up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Now, why is all of that true? It's because of this. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. And here's the truth. Here's the hope. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? It's through him. And when we realize the significance of how Jesus has annihilated death in our life, let me say beyond a shadow of doubt, it causes our hearts to love, to adore, to cherish, to want to know Jesus Christ and to live steadfast, immovable lives and we want other people to enjoy it. You know, and are these truths functioning in our lives this way? I mean, John says something similar to that. 
Over in 1 John, he talks about, again, that hope that's based upon what Jesus Christ has done for us. He says, beloved, we are, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Otherwise, we don't have a resurrection body. When will we have it? But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Now, here's a question. How do you know that that's your hope this morning? How do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your greatest desire is for Jesus to appear and all the trials, all the travails again be over? But more importantly, you are with your beloved. How do you know? And you know because of the next verse. Because remember, what happened back there, we look back over here, we have hope that this is going to come to pass, but it affects us in the here and now. And this is, this is what he says in the very next verse. And he says, And everyone who thus hopes in him, in other words, has this resurrection hope, purifies himself, even as he is pure. You know, just go out today and just shrug your shoulders and say, hey, I don't care. You know, oh, yeah, 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 I have this hope, but I don't care. You know, it tells us beyond a shadow of a doubt, indicates according to the authority of the word of God that we don't have this hope. You know, this hope changes us, it molds us. Scripture is meant to put our gaze on this one and see who he is, recognize what he has done forever and that he lives forever and that we will one day be with him. And let me tell you, that changes everything. And here's the amazing thing. When we are steadfast, when we are immovable, when we are abounding in the work of the Lord, this is, this is what we're involved in. We're involved in the most substantial, fruitful work that could ever have been done. Because listen again how he ends off this verse. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, or my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then he says this, knowing, right? Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you want to live a meaningful life? Do you want to uh, live a life that has significance? I think every single person that happens to be alive on planet Earth wants a life that's significant. You know, often it's worded like this, I want to leave my mark on humanity. And I realize a lot of people say that, and many times are proud when they say that. You know, they say that, that they want to leave the mark on humanity because of the pride, because of the sinful pride that happens to be in their hearts. They want to show how much better, how much more glorious, how much more grand that they happen to be again uh, in their lives and other people that happen to be around them. But let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, if we're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to live significant lives, not that people would look at us, but here it is, that people would look at him that people would see his grandeur, his glory, you know, who he happens to be. You know, and I wonder, because so many people waste their lives. They really do. They waste their lives on endeavor that really, in the end, have no significance. But here's the amazing thing. Because, because Jesus is alive, because he's been resurrected from the tomb, because we have this great hope that our sins are forgiven, we're forever more justified, and he's coming back, and one day we will rise also, we can live the most significant lives, the most glorious lives, the most substantial lives, you know, living for him. And, what could be, and again, what could be more substantial than living for him? So look at how he words this, because, again, it's really amazing, this last statement, because... He's trying to buttress the whole meaning of these three commands and the necessity that happens to be in our life. And he says this, this, knowing that in the Lord, in other words, done for the Lord, done in his name for his glory, knowing that in the Lord, 
your labor is not in vain. And what does vain mean? Anyone know? What does a vain mean? It's not talking about, again, proud and cocky. You know, it's not talking about, again, looking at me, kind of vanity that happens to be, again, out there. But vain, again, right here, means empty. It means worthless. You know, I can, I can remember one time being down at the ocean again, and I can remember the uh, little child, uh, the, the family that, had, that, that I was with, the little child dug a hole in the sand. You, you, you know, have you ever had a child that, that did that, and they had a bucket with them? And they would go up the ocean, right, and they would go like this, and they'd waddle back, and they'd pour it into the hole, and then they would go back, and they would do, do this. And let me tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, what they're trying to do is empty out the ocean. And that is a vain, again, occupation, isn't it? That's a vain endeavor, right? Right? They'll go, and all of a sudden, and, and you look at the ocean, and it's never empty. And that's what, that's, that's what the word vanity means there. It means empty. It means useless. In fact, when you look at the whole morning, you know, our morning service, our fellowship time, our time here, and even our Sunday school to follow, there's lots of people that happen to begin in the world today that would say something like this. That's fine for you, but it's not fine for me. You know, that to, to, to me, what you're doing is, a, is an exercise in vanity. It has nothing, nothing of eternal value that happens to be in it. And you know what? And I, and I want you to get this. They would be absolutely correct if this was true. And that is, again, what he says in verse number 14. And listen to what he says. And if Christ has not been raised, think about that. If this is true, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. And here it is. And your faith is vain. You know, if Jesus remained in the tomb, then everything I've ever said about Jesus Christ from this pulpit is absolutely vanity. It's absolutely useless. It's like, again, filling, if you, if, you, if you see a paper bag or a plastic bag on a windy day and you fill it full of air and you tie it up and it looks substantial, that happens to be inside, but you realize there's no substance inside. That's what preaching is about. If Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead... In fact, again, he goes on in there, and he even says, your faith is vain. In other words, you're trusting in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. You're trusting in Christ for this wonderful standing of justification. But if he is not risen from the grave, everything he did on that Friday is absolutely useless. It's absolutely vanity. It can't save you. You are still in your sins. And because you're living for this false Messiah, you are people most to be pitied. That's what he says. But here's the thing. Here's the reason why we're gathered this Sunday and we're gathered Sunday after Sunday. Here's the reason why we keep going, even though we have all these obstacles, all of these difficulties, all these opposition that happen to be in our life. Because look at what this verse says again. Because it says, therefore, my beloved brethren, and he talks about these three commands, and then he says this, knowing. Do you see that? Knowing. There's a knowledge that I have. There's a knowledge that I have not only about the death of Christ, not about the, only about the efficacy of the Lord Jesus Christ, but his resurrection. And when you look at it, and I wish we had time to go over it this morning, but if you look at earlier in chapter number 15, he proves beyond a shadow of a doubt the historical validity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's amazing to look at. He rose from the grave. 
But the word of God gives us the implications of that. And the implications of that, because he has conquered the penalty once and for all for us, then he is the first fruits of this mighty resurrection. And this is what the resurrection looks like, imperishable, immortal, eternal. You know, uh, a couple of guys were talking up front again about this great truth. I mean, what's it going to be like to have a mind that's never set on trivial things? You know, what's it going to be like to all of a sudden never struggle with sin again? What's it going to be like that our minds and our hearts never become weary of Jesus Christ? I mean, can, can you imagine it? There's coming a time, you know, a glorious time, and we have this knowledge. And because we have this knowledge, because we have this knowledge, this is not willpower. I can live, I can live that steadfast, immovable life that's all and, and serve others. And I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that my efforts in the Lord are not in vain. Now, here's a question. How do I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the things that I do are not in vain? The ladies really worked hard today, didn't they? Didn't they work hard? I mean, I sat and I did nothing this morning except eat and enjoy and have wonderful fellowship. And I hope this is an encouragement to you ladies. And it's this, how do you know what you did is not in vain this morning? How do you know? You know, for those who happen to be teaching Sunday school this morning, how do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what you're gonna say really has substantial value? How how would you, uh, gentlemen, uh, in the back sight and sound booth, how do you know? And let me give you two reasons, and we could go on and on and on about this, but let me give you two reasons. And here's the first reason. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what you have done in the name of the Lord is substantial because of this. Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive. I mean, it's a glorious hope, isn't it? You know, in fact, in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 24, it says this. God raised him, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible Not possible for him to be held by it, right? When you pay the penalty, here it is. God the Father would not be all just. God the Father would not be all holy. God the Father would not be all righteous if he kept the Son in death. And why? Because the wages of sin is death, and he paid for the penalty fully, exhaustively, completely. And therefore, death could not hold him. But when he raised from the grave, this is what you have to understand. The most supreme, the most glorious, the most uh, uh, high, high, uh, the majestic, the one who is the most majestic, most wonderful, happens to be the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no name, there is no person that happens to be higher, the more glorious, more worthy of our efforts and our praise. And therefore, anything that we do, anything that even seems mundane to other people that we do in the name of the Lord has substantial value. And the reason why it has substantial value is because there is no one more glorious, no one more worthy of worship than Jesus Christ. I mean, how can it not be substantial in his sight when we seek to glorify him? But there's another reason why all of our efforts, why everything that we do is substantial. And this whole chapter... Shout about this. I, I'm getting a little excited. I wish I could take off my, uh, my sweater right now because I'm getting a little hot. But anyways, I'm, I'm almost done too. So, 
But it's incredible, again, to look at the second reason why in this chapter really shouts out. And it's this. If Jesus is raised from the grave and has promised us a resurrection and an eternity with him, it tells us this, that this life is transitory. Right? This isn't the main thing. There's a life to come. And it tells me beyond a shadow of a doubt, here I am ministering to other, uh, others. Here I am trying to get them to see the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. The most important need that every single person has, the most important thing that unbelievers need, the most important thing that believers need is to see Christ. And anything that I can do in my life, I am pointing to these eternal truths and that life is not found here. That's the amazing thing about getting older. The amazing thing about getting older is you realize how transitory life is. You know, I'm a, I've, uh, I've always been uh, fairly, again, active. You know, and as my life gets older, I realize how hard it is to be active. You know, I wake up in the morning. I can remember waking up a little bit before 5 this morning, and um, I, I felt like I needed to get that oil for the joints. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. You know, my knees, my hands, my, uh, my elbows. It, you know, I can feel that, and I can feel that wasting away. I can feel, again, some of my, um, I, even my strengths that I used to have, my mental capacities, again, are waning and, and becoming there. But, but do you know what all that directs me to? That all directs me to that there is an eternity coming. And what happens to be, again, important is not this life. What happens to be of the ultimate importance is the next life. Right? Think about Paul. Think about all of the trials, all of the difficulties that he goes through. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse number 16. And he says, with all the difficulties, think of it. If this life is all that there is, he says this, so we do not lose heart. There would be every reason to lose heart. If this life was eternal, if this life, again, is all that there is, there's every reason to lose heart. When things don't go our way, watch out. But he says, so we do not lose our heart. Even though this is true, though our outward self is wasting away. This is what happens. The Christian actually becomes stronger as he's steadfast, immovable, seeking to abound in the work of the Lord. Here it is. Though our outward self is wasting away, here's what happens. Our inward self is being renewed day by day. Why? For this light, momentary. This is what this life is, right? For this light. And you say, Pastor, you don't understand what I'm going through. How could you ever call it light? And he says, for this light, momentary affliction. Compare it to the end. Compare it to the end. This is momentary. This is eternal. This is light compared to the end because it's preparing for us an eternal weight. And it's affliction on this side. But glory on others and far beyond all comparison. You know what I do? When anytime I see in the word of God where it says beyond all comparison, I try to imagine it. Do you, do, you, do you ever do that? And then I try to imagine it greater. And you know why I do that? Because I know I've never come to the limits of how grand and glorious it's going to be when I'm before my living Christ, my living Jesus. And he goes on again right after that. And he says, as we look, 
Look at, look at what I'm not gazing on. Think about what you fill your heart and your mind with. As we look not on the things which are seen, but the things that are unseen. Now, why would I not look at the things that are seen, but keep my mind and my heart on the things that are unseen? This is why. For the things that are seen are what? Transient. But the things that are unseen are what? Eternal. And, you know, here it is. You're here to steadfast, movable, and we're abounding. And he says, know that your work is not in vain. We're pointing to something that is eternal, something that is the most substantive of all that happens beginning in life. So if Jesus is alive, risen from the dead, and our future inheritance and resurrection is guaranteed, then look for his coming. Live in light of those precious truths. Don't get off track. Don't waste your life on on trivial and vain and empty pursuits. Serve Christ for a fruitful life that will last through all of eternity. And how do we know that it will last for all of eternity? Because of this. Jesus is alive. Praise our Lord. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Oh, God, my heart's full right now. Lord, immense. When I realize, Lord, as we go from the somberness, Lord, gratitude and thankfulness of celebrating Good Friday, that we come to Sunday. And Lord, Sunday's celebratory. Sunday gives the assurance. Sunday gives everything that happened on Friday meaning. And Lord, when we recognize that the one that we adore, the one we call Lord and King and Savior and Friend, Lord, is not in the grave. We are not celebrating a martyr's death. We're not celebrating that he came, Lord, to somehow usurp social norms. But one came to give his life as a perfect ransom for sin. Lord, we all recognize that. But so often, Lord, we don't gaze to the future. And it's because of the past, because of what he has done, because he's risen from the grave and conquered the penalty, we can have such an assurance of what has come in the future. And Lord, it doesn't matter how awful our lives are. It doesn't matter what trials and difficulties. It doesn't matter what mistakes we've made, what sins that happen to be in our life. If we've trusted Jesus Christ, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the best is still to come, far beyond all comparison. As we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. And Lord, we realize that we have this hope, not because we are good, not because we are grand, not because we have made it, not because we have conformed to a standard, but because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. God, help us to celebrate every single day of our lives, every single moment, the resurrection of our Lord. And may we be changed by this. May we be, beyond a shadow of a doubt, be steadfast, progressing forward, be movable, Lord, within these truths. And, Lord, be involved in one another's lives, pointing to the blessedness of Jesus and our great hope. We thank you so much.
Just be with us now. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother.